What's going on, Breakthrough Success listeners? Mark Averti, the business freelance writer here. In this episode, we're going to talk about anti-hustle. There is this idea that, yes, we have to work hard to achieve meaningful goals, but some people can take that a little bit too far, where we get this idea of work at the expense of everything else. So we do have to strike a balance in order to avoid burnout and have a sense of fulfillment. This is going to be a central theme that we focus on in this episode. We are joined by the founder of Prospecting On Demand, which is a company that helps impact-driven entrepreneurs achieve time and freedom. Our guest has worked with hundreds of clients in over 50 markets. Some of his clients include the Miami Dolphins and the UFC. So he has served a lot of clients, and he is none other than Alex Shlinsky. Alex, welcome to the show. Mark, thank you so much for having me, man. What a what an intro, by the way. The uh, energy level there is immense. I love it. That was great. Alex, it is a pleasure to have you on Breakthrough Success. And there's a lot of thoughts on how much work should someone be doing? Because if you work harder, the idea is that you get more results. But if you overwork, there are a bunch of issues as well. So I'm wondering if we could start by just defining in your words what anti-hustle means to you because there is a uh, balance beam that we have to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you kind of framed it that way. I think a lot of people when they hear anti-hustle, they think like, oh, the lazy guy to doing the least amount of work to get the most results possible. Um, like the Pareto principle essentially of the uh, the hustle culture. But it's really not that at all. The anti-hustle model um, is the contrarian opinion to the hustle model of just doing more for the sake of more. The way that I like to approach the hustle model is that only thing you see in the entrepreneur space today is the idea of imperialistic entrepreneurship, meaning more is always the goal. It's never actually a tangible goal. It's just more or defining your life or your life's work or your success, happiness, or joy based on someone else's version of what they've done, right? So people that we commonly see that are very big proponents of the hustle model would be someone like uh, Grant Cardone or David Goggins or Jocko Willink or Gary Vaynerchuk. Nothing wrong with any of these people. They all have great insight and are very valuable um, to share that insight from and learn from. But ultimately, when people develop their lives and their sense of self-worth based off of your side hustle has to have a side hustle, your hustle is not working hard enough, you have to wake up at 5 a.m. or you're a failure, you're allowing someone else to dictate the terms of your life. So the anti-hustle is what allows entrepreneurs to take ownership of the most valuable asset they have as an entrepreneur, which is their agency. And I don't mean marketing agency, I mean ultimately agency as in choice. They have choice to define what they want to do. There's a, a lot of scapegoatism in the world that we live in today, especially in the work model. There's this big thing about anti-work going on in the industry and in the world today, um, way outside of entrepreneurship, just in general of corporate America. And anti-work is not what anti-hustle is, but the idea is an anti-work. There's a lot of scapegoatism going on. I have a bad boss. I have a bad manager. The company has bad you know, methodologies. They have a bad vision. There's no scapegoatism allowed in entrepreneurship, right? Now, you can say, oh, I have bad clients and I have bad team members, but you have agency. You get to choose to identify what you do with your time, with your money, with your assets. And what anti-hustle is all about is ensuring that there's a process to actually identifying what you want in your life and defining your business to ensure and designing your business to ensure that you get the life that you want. And it's pretty unbelievable how often we see uh, people simply don't have any clarity 
clarity on what they want. And they move the goalposts consistently. The only goal was more. It was never actually defined, designed, and then doing. It's just a lot of doing without any satisfaction. And then it leads to burnout, frustration, and being tired. So this is the contrarian opinion to that, defining your life and designing it the way to achieve what you want specifically, not what someone else told you, including Mark and including myself too. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea of you do want to work hard, but at the same time, you don't want to just be doing things meaninglessly. Like the anti-work concept, I don't like what's going on up there at all. I, I think it brews a sense of entitlement in the workplace Absolutely. where people feel like I should be making six figures because I exist. And that's absolutely ridiculous you have to like people work hard for that like there's yeah, a that's anti-capitalism that. right and and yeah. i want to make sure it's clear i'm, I'm not anti-capitalism i'm cool with capitalism i think the imperialistic version of capitalism for lower level entrepreneurs meaning if you're not you know elon musk or jeff bezos or have any interest in becoming one of those people which look those are one in a in five billion right i mean it's they're very very rare um but some people aspire to be those uh those people for no reason other than they think that's the right method. And that's really what I think hustle culture has ingrained into us that I want to avoid, uh, you know, especially younger entrepreneurs falling into that trap. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go way too deep into the economies, but I think with both of them, there are certain flaws on each side and just being able to navigate. Like, you don't like, I feel like with capitalism, like it is this pursuit of more and it's good to set goals. It's good to want more things, but I feel like there are not enough people who just stop and be like, why? Uh, why am I doing this? Uh, I'm wondering 100%. if you can share about like, what does that looking, that reflection look like? How can we start asking ourselves stimulating questions that make Love us that. think of stuff like that? Such a good uh, question, Mark. So one of the things that I do is I coach a lot of sales. It's like one of my main things um, that I uh, focus on in my coaching programs and when I speak at events. Um, and I love like coaching psychology about urgency and understanding decision making and how people, you know, use implicit decision making like procrastination uh, to push off decisions. And, and one of the main things that we see in salespeople for any walk of life, for anything that they sell is understanding like the why behind the sale is usually very simple. For the majority of essentially marketing agencies, the why behind someone would invest in their marketing services to make more money. The to make more money could be veiled as any any position, like uh, get more roofing jobs, uh, get more patients, um, get more gym members, get more um, opportunities, get more med spa clients, whatever it may be, right? Ultimately, what's the ultimate end goal? Make more money. Then when you get deeper on why they want to make more money, most people just kind of get stuck right there, right? And this is kind of what ends up happening. We just we just facilitate this very strange framework of acquisition of more money. So like what I like to frame this as is basically you're a hunter, okay? Back in the day, you go out and you acquire all of these resources, food and opportunity and money and whatever, maybe you acquire all of it, you bring it home, your, your wife is there, your partner is there, whomever is there. And before they can even scream, we have enough, they're already out hunting again. Because like the hunt is what really matters. It didn't even matter what they acquired. And this is such a common problem we see and why a lot of people struggle with sales is they just settle on the baseline. So when I do a speech, Mark, I'll always be like, hey, at the start of it, who wants to make more money? And every single person in the audience always raises their hand, right? Then we go later on in the position uh, into the presentation. I'll ask them like, hey, I want you to put your head down. Why don't you close your eyes? And I want you to ask yourself why you want more money. And there's a very select few of people that are very like, 
knowledgeable and intentful about why they want more money. They want to retire their parents. They want to save enough money for their kids to go to college. They want to buy a dream home. There's some intent, but a lot of people, especially younger entrepreneurs or people that have been ingrained in the hustle culture for so long, have no idea why it's just inherently, of course, I want to do more. And then they wonder why they're struggling or frustrated or challenged on this. So in sales, if you understand that potentially you can open Pandora's box for a doctor, consider, hey, why do you want more patients? And they're like, well, because I want more money. And you're like, why do you want more money? And they're like, because everyone wants more money. If you tell them, hey, maybe do you want more money and more patients? Because if you get enough, you can hire another doctor and you don't have to do all the patient work yourself. And you open up an entire brand new avenue of the purpose and urgency as to why they should invest with you. And it becomes so incredibly valuable. And that's the same deep work that you have to do for yourself. And so what I recommend, and it's inside of my book that I have the Anti-Hustler's Guide to Working More, uh, to Working Less and Making More, the opposite. Um, one of the things that we do is this define, design, do journal. And the divine and design do journal is not anything spectacular or special. It's just a simple three-step prompt. And what I see most entrepreneurs and human beings do is just skip to doing. Because hustle culture just tells you, do it, 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 do it. Just get, just do it. Just keep doing. For what? Just do it. Where are we going? Doesn't matter. Do it. Do it more, do it faster, do it harder, do it better, right? And so what we identify is you first define exactly what you want right? And that definition is something only you can identify. Now, there's two reasons why people would struggle, Mark, with defining what they want. The number one reason why people would struggle with defining what they want is that they legitimately don't know what they want. They're not sure what would bring them joy or happiness or satisfaction. They're unsure of what would give them the fulfillment that they want in their life. And so what I challenge people on is identifying the last time they felt that joy, that happiness. Yes, I'm sure it was fleeting, but how can we maximize that and find a place where we can consistently hit that cycle of the happiness quotient is what I call it, right? Instead of searching just for more acquisition of finances, searching for the things that really make you satisfied and fulfilled. And looking back upon, reflecting upon the things that have made you satisfied, fulfilled, happy, excited in the past will allow you to identify what it would be in the future. And what I recommend is shooting for the stars, but landing on the moon is a pretty common conception. So what we'll consider here in a car metaphor is if you really believe the only way you're going to be happy in your entire life is having a Bugatti Veyron, which is like a $2 million car, right? But then you end up recognizing that you can buy a $100,000 sports car and you're as happy as you could ever be. You shot for the stars, but landed on the moon. And that's totally okay. That doesn't mean you failed at a goal. It just means you found a different alternative to something that made you really happy. And so that's the ident identification of how you define something. The second reason why people don't define what they want in their life is that they're fearful that they'll never actually achieve it, that they'll fail. And what I like to tell people is, People that win are never afraid of losing. A prerequisite to any level of success is failing. Failing really only comes down to, though, not obstacles. It comes down to quitting. So if you're going to quit, then you'd fail. But being worried that you're going to encounter obstacles means you just don't understand what it takes. The obstacle is ultimately the way. There's books written on this process. Like the idea of learning by failing, learning by making mistakes is the only way you can get there. So being afraid to define what you want in your life because you're afraid of potentially failing is ultimately just going to get you stuck into a lack of fulfillment burnout because you're just walking in a forest with no plan of where you're supposed to go. So that's the define stage. The design stage, pretty simple. Essentially what we recommend is what's the actual goal so you know, and then building milestones towards achieving that goal. Whatever that takes, however that looks, whether it's buying a home or buying a car or taking your you know children on a trip to Japan, whatever that might be, what are the milestones that need to be in place to 
to hit that. Trying to do no more milestones than five, a maximum of five, and no less than three, so that there's a very clear, tangible goal that you can do. And then you take actions, the do step on what it will take to get to each of the milestones. And this is kind of like a project management breakdown, right? So if your first milestone to get to this home is to have a you know $50,000 down payment, what are the action steps that you have to do in order to get to that 50K down payment? And then the next milestones along the line until you can buy the home. And that's essentially the framework that we advise for people to really get uh, the most out of their life and find satisfaction and fulfillment um, in this you know hustle culture that we live in. I mean, I think having that lifestyle design, uh, it, it makes the hustle feel more meaningful where you're not Definitely. doing something just because someone said like posting three times on Instagram a day and doing all the social media and all the platforms is a good thing for your business. Uh, it can help with uh, being more intentional. And I love the car example Alex brings up earlier because a $100,000 sports car versus a $2 million car, like, how much more marginal happiness are you getting from that purchase? So when you do that lifestyle design, it's just easier. I do want to focus more on that, though. The first point you mentioned is define. Uh, for people who, some people, like, they work so much, they're on that hamster wheel, and they're not really thinking, like, where does this all lead? They're just thinking, you know, like, affording necessities, like, living, food, which are very important thoughts to have, and uh, they take up a lot of space, uh, mental space for some people. But uh, how do we, if we haven't done this, especially if you haven't done this in a while, get into that defining stage where we know what we want to do with ourselves? Yeah. So I mean, like understanding baseline psychology, right? And like the Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like your basic needs have to be met. But I'll give you a quick example on a personal experience that I think would help a lot. Um, for those of you that don't know me or have ever heard of me before, I'm, I'm 31 years old. I have a two-year-old son. When I was 29 years old, I had open heart surgery uh, to replace my aortic valve um, when my wife was five months pregnant. Um, and experiencing that type of life-threatening situation uh, really made me evaluate the amount of work and hustle that I've put in the 10 years prior to build a foundation for my family. The reality is I did have to hustle and work really hard at the beginning without really an end goal. The only goal was to get out from under the rubble. That's the idea, right? And under the rubble is my basic needs were not met. I It was a struggle to get food. It was a struggle to pay for rent. It was fearful of where that next paycheck was, right? So if you're in a paycheck to paycheck model, this this framework is not are, yeah. relevant to you, right? It's not, it's not relevant to you because of course you're going to be hustling. You got to get there. This is more relevant for the people that really resonate with this piece, which is you've gotten out of the rubble, but because you've been struggling so much, hustling through that rubble so much, now you have no idea what it even is like to not hustle anymore. I like to consider what I once was, was a wolf, just acquiring, 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 did not matter how much I had. I just need to acquire more. Then I had surgery and recognized that my, you know, ultimately my priorities were completely misguided and I wanted to become a puppy dog. It's really hard to change from a wolf to a puppy dog. <laughs> It's very challenging. It doesn't happen uh, easily whatsoever. And ultimately, what I've what I've identified is, is you need the tools in place and the accountability in place to be able to get the things that you want out of your life. 
to identify what's required to achieve it. And, and that's really where the difference comes in. If you have basic needs that need to be met, you need to clarify what those are. So you don't ultimately just get stuck into a, I always need my basic needs to be met. Even though your basic needs were met two years ago, you're still fighting the same way as if they weren't. And that's really a big problem. The metaphor I like using is the moving the goalposts, like a football metaphor. You reach the end zone, but as soon as you reach the end zone, you automatically are back at the 50 yard line right away. And that's how your mindset works. No matter what you hit an end zone, you're at the 50, you hit the end zone, you're back at the 50, no matter what, there's no celebration. There's no enjoyment. It's just moving of the goalposts. Same idea as climbing a mountain. You climb a mountain, you hit the peak. There's no celebration. There's no relaxation. There's no fulfillment. There's no enjoyment of the victory. There's no uh, celebrating the wins. It's just, let's go climb the next mountain. There's always a bigger mountain. There's always a larger field. There's always a bigger fish to catch. That's the problem with hustle culture. Um, as long as if you are getting, you know, drowned by it, right? There's some people that have no problem with this and they're just like capitalist hustle maniacs and they have no mental health issues whatsoever and they're all good with it. I'm not speaking to you. If that's good for you, that's great. I don't get to determine what's good for your life or not. I'm speaking to those that need to hear this because they feel like there's no alternative. Isn't it just working hard for the sake of working hard or I'm lazy or I'm bad? Like, no, you're not lazy or bad. You only get one shot at this life. You get to choose what you want to do with it. If your basic needs are met and you're unclear of what you want, do the deep work required to clarify exactly what is enough. That's how I really frame it. What is enough? And that is a really, really hard question for a lot of people, Mark, to consider. Be included, by the way. I don't want to ever sit on a high horse or be sanctimonious saying I have every answer. I don't. The reason I'm writing the book is for me just as much as is for everyone else, because even though I had surgery two and a half years ago, and even though I have an amazing son that I'd rather spend time with him every single second over any other thing I do, I still find myself falling in back to old habits, hustle habits. And, and that's okay, right? Because I'm a human being and I'm fallible. And I'm just trying to share this insight as best I can so we can all hold each other accountable to create a different type of energy uh, outside of just work for the sake of working and do more and do harder and do faster and do better. Yeah, I mean, it's that whole idea of doing it just for the sake of doing it that can create problems. Like if you're working 12 hours a day, you love your work, you love your craft and you you did lifestyle design, you you gave it a look, but you're still happy doing 12 hours. Like don't fix something that isn't broken. Absolutely. Uh, you don't want to do something like that. Uh, but in Alex's case, like something like an open heart surgery is going to, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be, uh, you're going to have a different perspective. I'm wondering if, um, because I've, I've had people talk about like stories where like some traumatic event happened to them. It, it changed the way they looked at life. Uh, was that event something that like, it came as complete surprise, like you were healthy and snap, like you're in this situation or do you feel yeah. like there was stuff leading up to it? Because I think that people who may be uh, a few weeks, months or years away from being on that same boat, uh, there might be warning signs or I don't know if it just one day snap. Like, what was that like? Yeah. So part of the reason I share that message about my surgery is because I feel like the majority of um, people our age in the 25 to 35, 40 year old range, um, they haven't had that type of health scare, thankfully. Um, and most of the people that they hear that from are much, much older, in which case they're kind of um, neglected that that insights neglected, right? You, you hear from everyone that's older, right? Um, the idea of like time is super valuable, and it's very short. And, and just we have a, as human beings, we have an invincibility complex about ourselves. That's just how we are. It's how we're wired. It's, it's our, you know, reptilian brain protecting us from the reality that we're all born with a a death diagnosis guaranteed 100% effective rate. Um, and uh, we all think we're going to have, 
you know, as much time as we possibly can. Um, and then people wait until they're touched by something in their life that's very scary, mortality or morbidity. Um, that's very, very scary. Um, or someone they know closely. So my goal in sharing this is, hey, like you don't have to wait for something tragic to happen to you or to people you care about or to an ancillary person like Alex Shlinsky, um, to do something about it. You can do something about it now. In terms of my specific experience, um, I found out when I was 18 years old that I had a, a bicuspid aortic valve, meaning my heart uh, valve was you know, defective from when I was born. Just took 18 years to find that out. Um, and I got monitored every single year for 10 years straight. The crazy thing was when I was 18, Mark, they told me that I wouldn't have to have the surgery until I was 50 to 70, uh, but 100% guaranteed pretty much I would need to have the surgery. Like it was pretty much guaranteed. Um, when I was 29, they told me I needed to have the surgery. Um, and then COVID happened. So I had to wait 10 months until the surgery happened, which waiting was by far the worst part of the uh, experience. Wow. Um, but you know, one of the major things I considered was I had the alternative approach. When I found out when I was 18 that I had this problem, my mindset changed that my life expectancy was automatically shorter. Um, it didn't matter what the doctor said. It only mattered what my psychology said, which was my psychology and my brain was telling me if I had anticipated that I was going to live to about 100, right? Maybe I only live now to if I'm 70. So I have 30 years less than everyone else, essentially. This is this incorrect mindset that now I got to work a lot harder. And so I really just, I put the pedal to the metal, rev the engine into the red the whole 10 years from the time that I found out to when I had to have the surgery. Um, and, and, you know, I asked the doctors, obviously, like, why did I excel? Why did the surgery accelerate? Why did it go from being 50 to 70 to now I'm 31 or 30 and having to have this surgery? Like what accelerated it? Um, they say, look, you know, we can't tell you, like, we don't know, which is fair. Like, how are they supposed to know? And I said, could it be anxiety or stress or working too much? And they're like, those could, of course, be factors. They can't say for a fact, you know, because they don't know, but that's all they needed to say that my hustle my buy into hustle culture, my willingness to listen to David Goggins yell at me while he's running a marathon that I'm not doing enough. And I was inspired by that. So I'm going to work, wake up earlier and work harder and stress more about it. Um, definitely caused that. And so when I meet people that are really struggling with their business, even though financially they're fine, basic needs are met, they're saving for the future, they're doing well, but they feel like I'm behind. I'm not doing as good as so-and-so person. I'm, uh, this person says I'm not doing, it's like, who determines that, Right. If you're mentally strong and healthy and all is good and you believe in hustle culture, keep doing it. But it's this is not for you. It's for those that feel like there is they're trapped and you're not trapped. You have the agency to, to change at any time. Now, I do want to get into creating that change because the people have different work schedules. Uh, some people may have like the full day shift or something to that effect. Um, I know one of the things you do is you help people who like scale to 10k a month in 90 days um i'm sure the results vary but that's the overall thing that you've been able to do for some people sure. uh, i'm wondering if you could share what that looks like because uh like people may be hearing this right now and say like that's great like i, I get the idea that uh I, I should be more conscious uh but like my work schedule doesn't allow so i'm wondering if you could share with us uh, your insights on scaling yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really depends on, you know, what industry you're in, you know, what your what your jobs are, like what your side hustle is, like all of those are really important key characteristics. The thing I'll tell you is that anytime someone asks me a question, I always ask the same follow-up question every time. It's like, to what end? 
to an end. So someone is looking for me to answer a black and white answer where 95% of the time it's shades of gray. So it'll be like, Hey, like, do you believe in like the, the two appointment setters approach versus having one appointment setter? So there's competition and the two appointment setters do better. Like this was literally a, rec- a question I had, uh, from a, from a client two days ago. And I said, to what end? Like, do I agree on, on what basis? Like on what? And they're like, Oh, well to, um, you know, to have more effectiveness effectiveness on what? And they think that I'm trying to bother them. I'm like, no, I'm trying to understand what's the purpose, like effectiveness on booking more calls. I'm like, to what end? How many calls for what? What's the purpose? What are we trying to do? And he's like, oh, well, I'm making $100,000 a month already. So making an extra $10,000 a month doesn't really make a difference. Um, It's more so like the impact that I care about, et cetera. That's what I really want to do. I'm like, oh, okay. In that case, here's my answer. The, the, The idea is every person that's listening the main thing that you have to do is identify what you want and then manufacturing that lifestyle design through the business you have in terms of being successful and like quick wins on that. The most valuable thing to hear is actually designing it and clarifying what you want for it. Otherwise you'll never be successful because you don't even determine what success is. You haven't even written down. You don't even know what it means to you. You're just defining it based on someone else in terms of like quick victories um, in your business in general you know, your network is your net worth. I'm sure everyone has heard that before. That's how I started my agency. You know, I grew up a, you know, religious Jew. I, I would go to temple every single week. My next door neighbor was an attorney that was going to my temple. When Facebook launched, uh, you know, business pages back in 2010, I was, uh, you know, he became my first client. Now, when I say first client, I was a senior in high school. Uh, I didn't anticipate building a business. It was just, I posted for him once a day on Facebook and he paid me a thousand dollars a month to do that. And then when I went to college, I asked him if he knew any other attorneys that he was still close with that I could work with. And he sent me 10. And so for four years, I ran a marketing agency in quotations, because I didn't even know what that meant, posting for 10 to 12 attorneys on a monthly basis, getting paid a thousand dollars per attorney. And I just thought I was the smartest side hustler ever. Never did I think that this would be a business. Never did I want to be an entrepreneur. I was going to school to become an attorney or to become a psychologist. And then after school, hustling my way to becoming successful in school, I burned myself all the way out. I had nothing left to consider. There's no way I can go to law school. There's no way I can go to grad school. And so, hey, I have this business, I guess, this side hustle. And so I started learning more about it. And that's how I ultimately created you know, my agency, Sky Social Media, and then four years later, creating Prospecting On Demand. The network is is the key. It's it, The squeaky wheel gets oiled is, is the way I frame it. A lot of people are afraid to like, burn bridges or whatever, but man, people want to help people want to help themselves. You, you really have to be willing to utilize your network. And if your immediate response to this listener is, I don't know anyone, you're just destined to fail because you're just going to give up on yourself immediately without any willingness to really do the uncomfortable things. And the uncomfortable things is how you win uh, and how you stay afloat uh, during this time, especially if you're trying to figure out a million different things. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength uh, and it will make a huge difference for you. Squeaky wheel gets oiled. Squeaky wheel gets oiled. The squeaky wheel gets oiled. I mean, if you don't have a network, you just meet more people. You connect with people on LinkedIn. You go to in-person events. You use other social. There's so many ways now to meet new people and grow your network. One thing I want to touch into before my next question, uh, Alex was mentioning this idea of like effectiveness. Like, what is it? Like, 
if someone tells me that, oh, I want to grow my business, you have told me something and nothing at the same time. Like, I get that you want to grow your business, but like, is it a 10% growth? Is it a 20% growth? Right. Uh, what do you want your profit margins to look like? like that, these are questions. You have to look at the numbers. I feel like a lot of people's financial situations, uh, they would improve, especially if you've never looked at your monthly expenses. Like the first time I did that, I was blown away at all the different things that I'm spending money on that absolutely don't make sense. Uh, but I do want to go back to the referral piece because I think some people are a little shy to ask people they know if they know someone, like especially a close friend, because uh, some people don't want to cross that uh, barrier between like the friendship and yeah. uh, can you bring business my way? I'm wondering if you could share with us, how do we get more comfortable asking people we know, whether it be the neighbor or a client we've worked with for a while for referrals? Success in sales comes down to what I call the ACT method. It's authenticity, confidence, and transparency. Authenticity is the truth behind your words. Confidence is your belief that the result that you are telling them that's going to happen will happen due to either proof of the results, which in this scenario wouldn't be because you don't have the proof of results, but for people that have proof of results, that would be, or your belief that you're willing to do what it's going to take to get the results, right? Trying your best ultimately is the best you can do. The last bit of this, obviously, is the transparency piece, and this is where it's most effective for those who are in this referral framework. Transparency is when you are uncomfortable, right? You get to share that discomfort. Transparency is the amount that you're willing to share, basically the idea of breaking the fourth wall. If you're uncomfortable sharing something with someone, that's part of the human experience. Discomfort is one of the main human emotions that people don't want to feel, but they feel. That's how it is. And so when you tell your friend, hey, I want to be upfront with you that this is a little uncomfortable for me, but I really believe in what I'm going to tell you. Do you mind if I ask you something of you that you're more than welcome to say no to if you feel uncomfortable. That framework opens them up to understanding that this is uncomfortable for you, but you're still stepping out to it, meaning it really means something to you. That's the key, right? When you're leveraging that you know someone already, you have what's called the LKT factor already considered. The like, know, and trust factor is already there simply because they know you. So when you tell them that you're uncomfortable with the thing you're about to ask them, they're pre-prepared to understand, one, this might be a challenging thing that might be challenging to our relationship, but I also understand that that means this means a lot to this person. That's the framework you have to use. So when you go tell you know, a local business person that you've known since you were 10 years old and now you're 22 and running a business and you say, hey, Derek, you know, I got, I got to tell you, this is a little uncomfortable for me, but I could really use your help with something. And I, I just wanted to know if you're willing to allow me to ask you something that might be a little bit uncomfortable. He says, of course, Alex, how can I help you? What's going on? You know, well, Derek, I just started this business, yada, yada, yada is what we do. I don't really have any proof of results whatsoever, but I do need to start somewhere. And I thought it would be best to start with someone that I know. And I really believe that I can help you with this result. If you're willing to give me the opportunity to do it on a reasonable rate, and then I would do it for you. And I only ask you to give me feedback and a testimonial after I've delivered the result. And I'll do my absolute best to get that result for you. But I can't guarantee it will happen. What you've now done is put the ball in their court to understand the circumstances of the situation very transparently, but giving them the opportunity to also understand, like, I'm not willing to risk that, even though I respect and appreciate you, maybe they'll give you someone else. Chances are, though, that they'll probably end up letting you do it. Um, and that's what I found a lot in the beginning of my career, too. I mean, you got to be willing to ask. 
and it can definitely feel uncomfortable when you're first getting started, but it's something like a muscle that becomes easier over time. And it can lead to a lot of business and certainly help with scaling. Alex, I know you help a lot of people with scaling. You've had a lot of clients, you've helped them achieve success. Where can we go uh, to keep following your working journey? Yeah, prospectingondemand.com is the easiest place to find us on our website. You can follow me at Alex Schlinski on pretty much any platform. I'm pretty active on TikTok and Instagram and on Facebook doing videos every single day, mostly sales tips. I do some anti-hustle stuff as well, but the anti-hustle stuff is like my personal branding, not really like my uh, coaching program. Coaching stuff is like sales, really. Um, Anti-hustle is just a really important like mission to me way outside of business, like in terms of living a life of satisfaction and fulfillment is really, really important to me. So um, that's why, you know, I frame that at every, every podcast that I do, every presentation that I have, but, you know, people don't want to hear that all the time. They really want to know, like, how do I close this deal? How do I handle this objection? How do I do this stuff? I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm happy to talk about that also. So um, that's most of what you'll find on my content on any of those platforms. So that's the easiest way to find me. Well, Breakthrough Success listeners, make sure you check the show notes so you can follow Alex and his work. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on Breakthrough Success. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me.